to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies to make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name, Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have with me Dr. Donald Levick, who is a retiring CMIO. And I thought it'd be great to get that perspective of someone who's been there and done that, been in the business a long time. So, welcome, Don. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate you coming on the show and just telling us a little bit. If you would go over a little bit about yourself, how you got into it, and what you're doing now. Sure. You made me feel so old when you started a retiring CMIO <laughs> who, who's been in it for a long time. So for those from the East Coast, maybe able to tell from my accent that born and raised in Philadelphia and educated in Philadelphia. So I remain a huge Philadelphia sports fan. I moved to Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour north of Philadelphia in 1985 to join a pediatric practice. It was private practice back then. My wife joined also as a pediatrician the following year and we built the practice up. I actually got involved in practice management and leadership uh, during that time as the practice required some leadership, especially as we were going through exponential growth. And so that's where I learned a lot of my leadership lessons was leading that group. In the early 90s, during the first wave of practice acquisitions, our practice was acquired by Lehigh Valley Health Network. And I took on administrative roles with the practice group of Lehigh Valley Health Network, the group's called Lehigh Valley Physician Group, or LVPG. I was involved in that till about the year 2000 when I was approached by the previous CIO who asked me if I wanted to be the physician champion for our CPOE efforts. And back in the year 2000, probably less than 10% of hospitals were even attempting to do computerized physician order entry. So that was my first foray into informatics and I gave up my 50% administrative time with the physician group and traded it in for 50% IS time, information services, technology time to lead that effort. Uh, and I was the first physician informaticist both in NIS as well as at Lehigh Valley Health Network. And then over the years, as the demands for informatics increased, I increased my time in IS, where it got to the point of where it was before I stepped down, which was about 85% non-clinical, and I always retained 15% clinical time and I always retained that time for, for two reasons. I knew that it was always a great, a great way to step back if needed, which is what I've done, which we'll talk about, or if they ever figured out that I really didn't know what I was doing and they booted me out of my administrative <laughs> role, you could always go back to see patients. And so just as a, a quick sidebar, it's always a, a discussion point among CMIOs whether or not to remain clinically active or not. Do you need to be clinically active to maintain your credibility with your colleagues that you're trying to influence versus do you really have time to do that? And depending on your specialty, 
can you do it well enough in a very limited amount of time of exposure? For primary care like pediatrics, doing it a half a day per week, I felt like I was able to at least maintain most of my skills and still do a good job. So from 2000 up until 2011, I had various roles or titles in the IT department. During most of that time, I was reporting to the CIO. And then sometime late in the 2000s, it actually flipped. And I was reporting to the CMO with a dotted line to the CIO. And then in 2011, I was promoted to CMIO at Lehigh Valley Health Network. I was the first CMIO that they had. And reporting directly to the CMO, again, with a dotted line back to the CIO. And I was in that role until I stepped down from the position in January of 2020. So now you're back to practice, correct? Pediatrics is what you're doing? Correct. So in, in January, I stepped down and went back into pediatric practice with the physician group part-time, mostly because I just wanted more time to myself and more time to travel and more time to see my adult children who are all uh, several hours away. Gotcha. So 20-year informatics career, that's impressive. I'm looking for a few highlights from you. What are you really proud of developing, bringing to light, helping along, all those things that you must have done over 20 years? So there's a few things that, depending on where you want to focus, but from sort of a, a purely informatics perspective, being the first physician informaticist at LVHN, the, the IT department or the IS department really did not have that sort of clinical focus that departments do now. Since CPOE was essentially the first provider clinician facing software that we were putting in. And so helping to be part of that CPOE team that designed our system. And back then, you were essentially handed a blank slate from the software company and had to design the screens yourself. So working through that and educating the department as we went as to why this was so clinically important and why the decisions that we were making would truly impact clinical care and outcomes and quality, I think was a, a big challenge. And I think the group I was involved with of analysts, it was probably the highest performing group I've ever been part of. And I think we clearly changed the culture, first of the department, and then ultimately of the entire organization as we move them into essentially the clinical digital age. So that one area that, that I was very proud of, and we went through the, the entire hospital putting CPOE in and eventually got it mandated. And interestingly, despite being the physician champion, which many CMIOs know essentially makes you a, a punching bag for life for the other clinicians who need someone to blame everything on. Somehow in the middle of all of that, they elected me president of the medical staff. So I'm not sure whether that was punishment for what I was doing to them or whether or not it was just a sign of respect and acknowledgement that I was trying to do my best for the medical staff. I was going to ask how you well you integrated into IT. 
IT being the first doctor that's that's putting on a, an IT hat and did they look at you like you had two heads or did they welcome you with open arms? What did that feel like 20 years ago? So it's funny because I was just talking to some of the people that went, as I was getting ready to leave IS and we went out for drinks one night and they all talked about the first time they met me. And interestingly, the majority of that team, that CPOE team is still working in the IT department, which just shows the loyalty of some of the people in that department. At that point, I was still, I was transitioning from the administrative role in the physician group. And so they came to my administrative office and they were all nervous. They all came in jackets and ties and they were dressed up and, and they came in and I was not, I wasn't even wearing a tie, let alone a jacket. And back then I used to collect Pez dispensers and the entire windowsill behind me had about 150 Pez dispensers on it. And so they walked in and it was, who the hell is this guy that we were supposed to come in and meet? And so I think that I, I was able to remove any issues of them being intimidated by me being a physician. And the fact that I made it clear that I was there to learn from them as much as they were there to learn from me made it much easier. And so I knew very little about the technology infrastructure of the hospital at that point. There was no reason to. And so I learned a lot about that and sort of that ability to admit that I didn't know things, I think, made it easier for the people in that department to uh, get along with me and how I integrated in. I have to say that sounds like great advice for anybody going into a new position in terms of how to break the ice, how to build that trust in that relationship. So I think that's, even though it's many years old now, I suspect that's still really spot on accurate. Do you know that you were involved with some analytics as well? Tell me about that journey. So that probably started around 2012, 2013, I think, that like many institutions, we were having issues with data. We were having issues with integrity and consistency of the data so that people would bring reports to meetings and someone would say, here's our length of stay. And someone else would stand up and say, wait, our, I have a report that says our length of stay is different. And when you look at that, it's because of difference in definitions and how the data is being classified. So we had that happen in a rather public forum. And as a result, the CEO said that we need to get our hands around the data, have true data governance, and to try and centralize it. And unfortunately, I was sitting in the front row. And so he looked at me and pointed at me and said, Don, you're in charge of this. So I poached one of the directors from IS and this effort, which initially lived in the CMO's department, since that's where I reported, we built an analytics department and developed data governance for all of LVHN. And it was, it was quite a hard road to go down. And for people that have done it, it, it had all the classic pieces of change management that was required. 
in terms of, again, changing the culture of the institution, changing the perspective. And for CMIOs that deal with personnel and FTEs, we were stealing, we were moving FTEs, analytics FTEs from clinical departments, financial departments into our department. And so that never goes over well when you go to a clinical department and say, we, we see that you have so-and-so and he or she's spending 80% of their time running reports for you. And we know that there's issues with those. So we want that person in our department so that they can use standardized corporate tools and a corporate database to draw the data from. But it means that you have to give up the FTE. And so that was a huge battle. But we built a very strong, again, high-performing group. These were people that were not used to being, some of them not used to being in the IS department or housed where the IS department was, because for a while we shared space with them. For a while we had our own space, which was really when we grew our identity as a group. We were in our own suite for a while. And so we were able to work on the culture of that group. And it was a group that that if you needed something done and it was urgent, they would stay till all hours of the night to get it done. And so we really transformed how data was looked at by the institution. And people talk about that data is truly, should be a corporate asset and treated as that. And I think it took several years of hard work, sacrifice, and a lot of political capital that I think I wound up using up which in some ways may have come back to hurt me at times, but in order to build that group and build that corporate asset that we now call enterprise analytics at LVHN. I wonder if you've maintained the same central focus on analytics or did it ever move back out to the periphery? Because I hear that debate all the time. Should analytics be central or should it be peripheral or closer to the where the care is being delivered? How did it end up? Is it still all centralized or, or where did it go? So in some ways, it's a bit of a hybrid. So two things. Some of the analysts, the data analysts, what we've done in the area, what they did, what in the areas that would not move the person what we did was they would still report to whatever department they were in but there was an agreement that they would spend greater than half their time physically located with the enterprise analytics team so they had access to the same tools and the expertise around them and so that what they were doing could also be QA'd by other people so in some ways it's a bit of a hybrid, but the data and the reports still originate from that enterprise analytics team. Interestingly, before a couple years before I stepped down, we had gotten a new CIO, actually he's been there four years, and who had huge interest in analytics. And a year after he was there, so three years ago now, the decision was made to move analytics, including the director, who was now an administrator, and that entire team away from me and back under the CIO. So now all of Enterprise Analytics reports up to the CIO. So it was uh, not something, to be honest, that I was very happy about, 
I made my displeasure known fairly publicly in the organization. I'm not sure how well that all went over, but it is what oh, it is. Oh, sure. And it's also a trend that I see actually going the other way. I'm seeing analytics being pulled out of IT more often. They'll leave the data architects behind and those who are creating data lakes or cloud uh, architecture. But the actual analysts, the people who are solving the business problems and the clinical problems are moving underneath clinical people more often than not. So I think it's an unusual move and I guess it just speaks to how every organization is different and there's different power, I guess, in different organizations. Politics does play a role, doesn't it? <laughs> just a little bit. So yeah, I think this was a lot of politics. This was something that the, the CIO felt strongly about. But I absolutely agree with you, and it was one of the arguments I made was that by moving it out from the CMO and the CMIO, the clinical prioritization of analytic development potentially was lost. And I think that it's something that in some ways did happen with us, that the priority shifted to the CIO's priorities for what he believed should be done with data, what I believed. That's interesting. I see that conflict can develop in many organizations and how that plays out, particularly around data analytics, which I think is very much in flux. As you said, more and more people are recognizing this is an important asset for the organization. It's not something we can just outsource or buy. You actually have to have that competency in-house. And I think and, as organizations are recognizing that, you know what, we've squeezed all the fat out, we've cut all the people we can cut, we actually now need to reduce the variability in care and improve the quality of care. And that requires physician engagement and that's going to require analytics to help drive some of that because doctors are very data driven. So and, and I think I, it's, that, it's an unusual move. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that regardless of where it lives, I think that CMIOs need to make sure they are involved in the analytic efforts of the organization. And I'm sure many are, sometimes just as consumers of the data, whether it's quality reports and things like that. But I think CMIOs, especially moving forward as data becomes so much more important than just the building and implementation of the systems, now that most people most organizations are implemented. The question is, how do you know the impact that it's having? And that's all data. And so I think the CMIO needs to be central to that in order to make sure the, the right questions are being asked and that they're being asked the right way and that they're truly representing what the clinical effort is trying to accomplish. So what were some of the harder parts of the job? Going over the 20-year career, where either you thought, wow, I wish I could have done it better, or wow, I wish I never had to do that again, or those kinds of questions. I don't think there was anything I could have done better. No, I'm just awesome. kidding. No, <laughs> and, and goodbye. So I, I think that how I handled some of the political issues that came up, I think is something that in retrospect, I could have handled differently. So whether it was the movement of analytics as an example and, and how that all fell out, I think that I'm not sure I could have 
truly changed the outcome that it was moving, but I think how I handled it, I could have done better. I think that CMIOs often wrestle with, depending on their level of detail of involvement. And so I always saw myself as a change agent and a communicator, and that was my main role. So as a result, I never got certified in our core EHR system. So I never went out to the the vendor site and took the classes and took the test and did the projects and and did all that. And so I never had the depth of understanding of the system that some of the other people did. And I always wrestled with that in that should I know more about the system and and know everything that it can and can't do, or is that what the rest of my team was for? And I just needed to make sure they were doing that appropriately and the appropriate decisions were being made. I think I probably stayed at sometimes too high a level. And and then you wind up being in situations where you don't know the answers to things. And so I, I think it's a leadership challenge, regardless of what area you're in, in terms of knowing enough detail that you can carry yourself through but not getting so mired in the details that you're losing the 10,000 foot view and dealing with the bigger issues that at an executive level you should be dealing with. So that raises the good question around being a strategic leader versus a tactical leader. And many CMIOs are coming up through physician builder programs or informatics programs and they get very tactical. And so they've got that deep knowledge, but then that doesn't always leave them time to be the strategic leader. Do you find that you were able to get face time with the CEO or CFO and be able to give an opinion around clinical tools that should be purchased or changed or get involved in those higher level discussions around analytics and the sort? Sometimes yes and sometimes no, but I think in balance, like many CMIOs, I felt like I was not included enough in some of those higher level decisions. And bringing the input that someone who knows both the clinical process and the informatics implications of that, I think belongs in some of these highest level discussions and often I was not there. And I think some of that depends on your reporting relationship, both officially, as well as what the relationship is with who you report to. And so the previous CIO that I reported to, my opinions were always filtered through him. And my exposure to the CEO or the C-suite was fairly limited. I had some exposure as president of the medical staff, but that was essentially a, a different job that often I had to make sure there were boundaries between. I'm acting as president now, or I'm acting as informaticist now. And so I was very careful about letting those spill over, which meant that when I kept that partition, my informatics opinions were often not brought to surface because I was either in the wrong venue or they had to go through the CIO. 
Then when I was reporting to the CMO, he is ex-military, and so he's incredibly hierarchical. And so, again, things had to go through him up the chain of command and back down. And so if he didn't invite me to those tables, then he would have kicked my ass if I went around them and sort of end run him to someone in the C-suite. So I had to be very careful about that. And there were areas where I thought, and, and I still think it, it's very important. And so for those that know that are nearby the Lehigh Valley area, Lehigh Valley Health Network, and this is in the news, uh, is acquiring an orthopedic organization that owns hospitals, ambulatory sites, and employs a bunch of orthopedic surgeons. And so as I was leaving, the planning of that integration was beginning. And I felt like there was no attention being paid to the socio-technical acceptance potential of these providers in this orthopedic group. And I think it has potential to be a gigantic roadblock. And when I tried to bring that up in the limited exposure that I had, but I think it's something that only a CMIO would think about. How are these docs going to be able to handle this change in technology? And who's going to handle that cultural shift, let alone the technical shift for them? Hmm. So it's just one example of where I think that we have as CMIOs a unique voice that belongs at a fairly high level that not only is not often asked for, but people don't even realize they should be asking for it. So with all these years of knowledge you have, impart some wisdom upon the new CMIO who is looking to have more of a strategic focus. They've kind of done the implementations or they've got the order sets all straightened out and they're really looking for a seat at the bigger boy table, so to speak, or bigger girl table, as whatever you wish. How do they get there in your opinion? So I think that when you're in an existing situation, and the hierarchy and, and sort of the, the governance has already been set, I think it's very difficult. It's the old, you're never a hero in your own hometown. I think once people know you and you're sort of set in the position, it gets difficult to try and change that. I think that when CMIOs move and they move from one institution to another, or if people are being promoted from medical director of informatics or whatever the title was into CMIO internally. I think the setting of expectations of exactly what you said, what tables will I be sitting at is a very important discussion to have. And so I think it's easier for people that are coming into a position for those that are in the position already. I think it's going to be dependent upon sort of how pushy you want to be with the person that you report to. And again, if it's a hierarchical organization, it becomes potentially politically dangerous to run around that hierarchy in order to get your voice heard. And so if it's a more open organization, then you have the opportunity to ask to, to at least be part of that 
meeting or be at that table for specific topics if that's coming up. So, and then see if you can make a point at that point. And then people will say, boy, we need him there all the time based on what we just heard. Right. I think you raise an excellent point. Most of us do not get any education in politics. When you're trying to move up in an organization that someone on the administrative side has probably been doing for 15, 20 years, as a doctor, you're kind of promoted to head of the ship the minute you step into the practice or the OR or what have you. So I think the politics involved can be very challenging and really important. And that concept of the politics may very well be set at your organization. And sometimes to get a better set of cards, you just got to pick up and move. Is something that one of my mentors had told me 15, 20 years ago, and that if you want to move up in organizations quite frequently, you are going to move to someone who's got a, a better picture for you. So, right. I uh, think that I think there's opportunity because you're clinically connected to clinical leadership as sort of the leverage point. It's more subtle for the say the regional CMO who you have a good relationship with, who you can say, I really need to be at that table for him to then ask at the C-suite level, I think Don should be here for these discussions. Then that may often carry more leverage than if I were to go to the people and say, I really need to be at these tables. And so I think that's sort of subtle influence through the areas where you do have connection and relationship is one way to approach that. And that way it doesn't look overt that you're just sort of throwing a tantrum saying, I want to belong in this meeting. It's other people that you've sort of planted that seed saying, the CMIO needs to be at these meetings. Great stuff. I really like that. Well, I did promise I'd let you out of here at about the half hour mark. And so I want to thank you. This has been great. Uh, if people wanted to just reach out to you and connect, are you on LinkedIn that they could uh, shoot you a question about your experiences? Sure. Obviously, I love to talk. So, yeah, so people can find me on LinkedIn. I'd more than welcome the opportunity to talk to people, hear about their uh, successes and their challenges. And if they want my advice, I'm glad to offer it. Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, we wish you the best in your new plans of, well, practicing and traveling and seeing kids and, and good things like that. So, yeah, I'm hoping. Uh, best to you. Great. <laughs> and that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.